0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Brew. It's episode 308 of the Craft Beer Bring Podcast, and this is the second of our panel discussions recorded at the Brewers' Retreat a few weeks ago at Russian River Brewing, and it's a concept and a conversation that is very much driven by the event location in Sonoma County, California. Uh, of course, for those who know, one of California's preeminent wine regions. Uh, the idea for the panel came alongside the idea to make a special collaboration beer for event attendees, uh, kind of like the collaboration we made for the last retreat in Maine, a, a blend of... Perennial Maman and Weldworks Media Noche that we dubbed Mama Noche. With our location in wine country this year, a wine-beer hybrid collaboration, it just seemed like a beautiful way to reference both the location as well as the collaboration idea behind the event. So I pitched the idea to Vinny and to Corey King of Side Project. We got moving on that project last September. Um, To again take advantage of our location, we invited Nick Gisselson of Hanabi Lager Company to join for a day of brewing at the retreat as well as for this panel discussion And although Nick doesn't make wine beer hybrids, he does, he knows a thing or two about wine from his work as a winemaker for one of the United States' most coveted wineries. And of course, through the course of this panel discussion, we tasted a few beers that you may be lucky enough to have in your own cellar, like uh, Side Project's Loam Vidal Blanc and Russian River's Small Batch Pomice Beer. Uh, only those who were there and a few others will have the chance to try the collaboration beer due to the extremely small quantity produced. So you have to use your imaginations for that. But uh, you know, as always, through the course of this conversation, we focus more on process and technique than, uh, than sheer tasting notes. So there is plenty to learn from this in-depth conversation about um, brewing beers that use wine grapes, those kinds of uh, intersections of fermentations and all of that. Uh, before we jump into the conversation, for years, GD Chillers has chilled the beers you love, partnering with 3,000 plus breweries across the country. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built, offering 24-7 service and support. GD builds with non-proprietary parts, expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. g ds in-house engineering crew have been piping breweries, wineries, and distilleries for over 30 years they offer free piping design and consultation with the sale of every chiller they build reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project also this episode is sponsored by bsg exclusive distributors of raw malting company producers of quality malt since 1847. Is your Pilsner looking flat, wishing you could show off a mousse-like foam stand, or looking to boost mouthfeel in a hazy? Then look no further, because Rar Dextrin Malt is here to improve your beer, bringing better body, improved haze formation, and stable foam. It's practically magic. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn how. Also, thanks to BSG for sponsoring our Brewer's Retreat, the source of this very conversation that we are about to share with you. Also, so scheduling freight carriers should be the last thing on a brewer's mind. So why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients? Old Orchard is partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your flavored craft concentrate blends. When you order two pails or more from Old Orchard, you qualify for freight quotes. To get started, head on over to oldorchard.com brewer. Now on to our discussion on wine beer hybrids. So this morning, we're going to kick off with a conversation about uh, wine-beer hybrids. Um, obviously, you know Vinnie and Corey. Nick is joining us, Nick Gislason from Hanabi Lager. He does not brew wine-beer hybrids, but he does a little bit in the wine world. So, uh, so we thought we'd have his perspective uh, in talking about wine, grapes, terroir, and some of those other things, and uh, that we couldn't miss uh, the opportunity to get some of his perspective on this. Nick, why don't you... Kick things off and uh, you know, give us a little bit of background on you and uh, you know your your winemaking journey as well as your beer making journey. <clears throat> Sounds good, thank you, Jamie.
1: So, so my journey into beer and wine. So, I grew up in Northwest Washington. So, a lot of breweries uh, started to brew up in the town of Bellingham, Washington, at Boundary Bay Brewing Company, and worked up there for a few years and then transitioned into wine um, because I grew up on, a, I guess you say, a small family farm and I was interested to have a hand in actually growing my raw materials and seeing it all the way from basically the field to the glass and at the time, it seemed like wine would be an interesting way to get to do that because it was relatively common, at least at that time, for winemakers to oversee both the farming and the winemaking. So made a transition into wine, uh, moved to California, and that was 2007. And made wine here, made wine in New Zealand, came back, studied winemaking, and and that's been uh, most of what I've been doing since then. Um, I've been at a company called Screaming Eagle since 2010, and um, coming from Harlan Estate before that, and a few other places. But at Screaming Eagle, so the last 14 years have been managing both the farming and then also the winemaking. And so we have 50 uh, little acres there split up into about 50 different parcels. And so there's a variety of different soils, different uh, hydrology going on, a subsurface, and, and we have a bunch of different clonal material as well, different budwood selection. And so we farm these 50 different parcels to try to optimize everything in terms of what budwood we put on what soil, what rootstocks, and then the farming practices. We try to hone in how we manage cover crop, um, how we manage soil, soil fertility, soil health, um, things like irrigation and all these kinds of things are um, the farming knobs that we turn to try to queue up these 50 different parcels that bring unique things to the blend. So some parcels more for aromatics, Others more for body and mouthfeel, and it's um, sort of my endless job to try to figure out what are the greatest strengths of these different uh, plots and then how to bring them together to make, in our case, two different uh, red wine blends. So that's... um, that's what I do. So and then, I can, you, then
0: you created a, a brewery on the side just because you didn't have enough going on.
1: <laughs> so there's a saying, uh, it takes a lot of beer to make a little bit of good wine. And so that's certainly true um, around here as it is anywhere. Um, or also like the one in Germany, in Mosul, they say the best part of the wine tasting is the beer afterwards. I always thought that was kind of <laughs> neat.
2: <laughs> I've not heard that one. I'm gonna uh, that
1: <laughs> one
0: going to start using like yeah. that one
2: a lot. But how about the one that uh, Napa's for auto parts, Sonoma's
1: for wine? <laughs> oh, <No? laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Napa Sonoma rivalry here. <laughs> Expect nothing less. Thank you, Vinny. <laughs> our uh,
2: our friend Ron Caps races NHRA, and his sponsor is Napa. And we tell him every year, if you ever win at Sonoma Raceway, at Sears Point, you gotta say that on national television. That would be so rad. And the awesome thing is, is, he is a, he's a huge
0: beer drinker. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Cool. So, I mean, let's, uh, the framework of this is, you know, since we're here in wine country in Sonoma and also have guests from Napa, more California wine, we're gonna bring the, the two teams together here on this. Um, you know, maybe we kick off with, uh, you know, just a broad general question. Why? Yeah, you know, you've got wine. You have beer, Vinny, Corey. You know, as you decided to make beer wine hybrid, you know that uh, bring these two things together. What's the motivation behind it, and uh, you know, what opportunity did you see in flavor and experience? Uh, you know that uh, using wine grapes and beer afforded you. There you go, yeah, um, Corey King, Side Project.
3: Thanks for having me. Um, so in front of you, actually, you have a beer from us called Loam, and you know if you will, the inspiration for me using wine grapes, um, my first love was wine. Actually, my wife and I uh, met working fine dining and I actually play, I applied to be assistant winemaker um, right out of college, I didn't get the job. But um, as I got into making funky and sour beer, much inspired by the beers of Vinny, honestly, um, you know, at the time, different fruits and the different ways we could use fruit and all these different sour beers to try to find balance and just to kind of find a new complexity or a new fermentation profile um, was was a lot of fun and awesome. Um, but it was always interesting to me that the wine grape wasn't used that often, you can name a million raspberry beers or blueberry beers, but I can't name very many raspberry wines or blueberry wines It's like the fruit that's meant for fermentation is grapes. And um, and so being a wine lover, I quickly, you know, grasped on that. We also f- are fortunate that we're, um, our brewery we're about 45 minutes away from the Augusta AVA. Sure, none of you have heard of it. It's a, 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 a region, a wine region of Missouri. Um, the wines aren't very good, but um, <laughs> um, they won't be listening <laughs> to the Craft Brewery <laughs> Podcast. Um, but no, I mean, and and they have, I will say, since we started buying grapes from from Augusta ten years ago, I mean, the the there is a little bit more attention to the details there, and 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 it's a lot of fun. And some of the whites I do enjoy, you know, while we're there, um, it, it's not like I'd grab them to have at dinner. But um, we have some great friends out there. They obviously love what we're doing. We love what they're doing, and so be able to work with you know, Missouri again, you know, and something close and getting grapes from these growers and these producers and seeing what the wine tastes like, and then kind of seeing what our beer tastes like after the fact, um, has been really great. And, and, and that was what drove me to those things where, where, you know, Hey, this, I mean, at the end of the day, like we make funky beer in oak barrels and we have a feeling of more of a winery than a brewery. And I love wine and I want to use a local wine grape. And, and we have used actually grapes from, from California before as well for some of our blends. Um, but um, as we've gr- grown and moved forward, we are now focusing more on just the Missouri grown grapes. And this is a Vidal Blanc grape, which is a save Old Blanc hybrid that can stand the weather. So if that makes sense on why we
2: do that. Sure. Nick, have you ever heard of that variety?
1: Vidal Blanc. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah you awesome. learn about it in school. Yeah. <laughs> you don't taste it out here very often. There you
0: go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very cool. <laughs> awesome. Vinny, what drove you uh, to start these?
2: Yeah, for me, it starts with my childhood. I grew up in a, a wine growing family in Southern California, uh, Temecula. It's a little wine region down there. My parents planted the very first commercial vineyard in Temecula in 1968. So I kind of grew up in this whole thing making wine, and uh, it was Petite Sirah, which will have a thread into the beer that uh, that we have on the table here, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so that was the beginning of it. And then when I started homebrewing, uh, I was actually making beer with Petite Sirah grapes, but not funky beer. I was just doing like a blonde ale and adding Petit Sirah to it and getting this like really heavy tannin structure. Um, and when we started making funky beer, we didn't necessarily make, you know, great beers. Um, but Natalie and I did have this beautiful like hundred year old Muscat Canale Grapevine uh, behind our house when we lived in Geyserville, which is one of the northern towns of Sonoma County, and I would make like one or two barrels of a Muscat Canale grape that was inspired by the Cantillon uh, beer, which I can't remember which one that has Muscat. Is that but, uh, the Vin
0: uh, Yes,
2: yeah, I think so. So that that was the beginning of it, and then we had this idea of uh, pairing. Um, barrels, specific barrels with the grapes kind of carrying on with a little bit like we do with, you know, like sh- we, temptation is only Chardonnay barrels, supplications only Pinot barrels, consecration is only cab barrels. So now we've started continuing to roll that, you know, making a Merlot grape beer under our intinction line, Sauvignon Blanc, and those are all Sauvignon Blanc barrels, Merlot barrels, so on and so forth. And it was just very natural. We're in the middle of wine country here. We have access to absolutely, you know, some of the best grapes um, in the world in this area. And uh, it just was a really natural progression from my childhood to now. And I think one of the cool things is that you have to start thinking about the tannin structure. That's a whole nother component that you don't think about when you're making these wild beers. You know, normally you're thinking about, okay, bitterness and gravity and how much sugar you're going to have left for the Brett and the bacteria to work off of. But now you have this whole other layer of flavor. And I don't know what Corey, maybe you, if you know, where your mind goes with that. But for me, that's one of the first things that I think about in making these funky grape beers. And then, you know, it's definitely something that a winemaker would be thinking about. Yeah. We should, let's talk
0: about tannins. And I think that's something we can tap into Nick's brain on too. How do you, how do you all think about, tannins as a, a flavor and texture component and
1: uh, yeah well it might be interesting so you know to understand with at least the raw material itself with grapes there's so many things that affect that right everything from certainly variety so in general with wine grapes you have white and red um, broadly speaking but then you get into and both have tannin by the way lots um, depending on the variety and and then after that, it depends on specifically which white variety or which red variety. And some just innately have a lot more than others. And the range is, is pretty wide. So just to give like a, a perspective. So say you have a really light uh, vineyard of Pinot Noir in terms of tannin. So that might have anywhere between 10 and 20 times less tannin than, say, a Cabernet vineyard that might be just down the road somewhere. And so it's not like we're talking like a little bit, 20, 30%, more or less, or 10%. It's like 10x or 20x, like broadly different um, contents of, of measurable tannin. And so, so within that, there's um, varietal differences and then there's site differences. So you can take a single variety, a single clone, even of, say, Cabernet or, or Pinot or whatever and grow those on two different soils within a five mile separation. And you might measure anywhere between say, two to four X difference in tannin, which is huge. But just depending on if it's on a more clay soil or a more rocky, uh, more highly drained soil. And, And so that effect is huge. And then on top of that would be the cultural practices of things like irrigation. Um, if you if you farm those grapes really uh, dry, let's say broadly speaking, not not a lot of water, you run pretty lean. You could have easily two to three x more tannin than if you were irrigating those grapes a lot more frequently. So there's a lot of things that affect uh, what you would have coming in the door, and then um, and then from there is all the processing decisions, right? So once you've gotten it through those farming choices and uh, you say, okay, now we pick it. And I guess that's in and of itself a whole, another decision that affects the tannin quite a bit. Um, but then you have it in and then it's all about extraction. And so in the wine context, that's uh, skin contact time is one. So you make a choice and the skin contact time when you crush the grapes and it's You either separate them as juice or you actually ferment on the skins. And when you separate the skins, that's when the tannin extraction stops. And so that's a very conscious choice that you need to make. And that could be anywhere between 10 minutes after you crush it to two months after you crush it. So you can understand that that really affects the outcome very strongly. Um, And so that would be probably the main processing decision, how much time you spend on the fruit on the skins but then also things like temperature play into that and then how aggressively you might uh, move the contents of the tank so like in the case of a red wine fermentation how much you're pumping over so take the juice from the bottom and spray it over the top of the the cap of floating uh, grape skins Um, and so there's a lot of things that you can do then on the processing to to help steer it but sort of at the end of the day it's about thinking about the things that you can change and that those that you can't, and then adjust the things that you can change to sort of compensate for the things that you can't, if you see what I mean, to try to find something with nice balance and something with that brings pleasure um, at the end of the day.
0: Sure. Corey, you know, in practice, how does that start to look for you? And obviously there's going to be different practice for different wines and intentions. you use both red and white grapes, different kinds of bases, different goals for acidity and funkiness and all these. But uh, where do you start then in that creative process, thinking about envisioning, you know, beers that are going to to use grapes? So I think um, the beer you have in front of you, I think this is
3: like maybe the 10th or so um, great beer we've done. And as of about three years ago, we had our license changed so we could actually make wine as well. So pre that I had to use fruit as in addition to beer, couldn't quite make wine. Um, so now we can do separate fermentations, if you will, with the grapes and um, and different processes, whether, how long we're letting them sit on the skins, um, legally, you know, we can actually legally do that now. Um, so for like this beer, we actually let the Vidal Blanc grapes, we left them on their skin after the crush. Um, we inoculated with our Saison yeast and our bugs and left that tank in our barrel room um, to have a primary fermentation, if you will. Um, so I left it on the skins, um, even though it was white wine um, for about seven days, just to get a primary fermentation out of that. And that wasn't in attempt because we, as we talk about tannins, you know, in the brewing industry, tannins are usually negative. You know, they're coming from the husk and there's things that we don't want, but for wine drinkers and for wine making processes, and I do not know how to make wine like, anybody you know but I'm, I'm i'm just playing with fermentation as i always have and trying to create flavors that i never have before and then using it as a blending component so by allowing it like this this year to actually make wine sit on the skins for about a week and then rack it off and then back blend with a higher acid saison of ours that has the oak content and then letting those two things sit in oak again blended for almost another fermentation was just a new way for me to play with the flavors that i've created to try to always find the best blend um, and that's well, these are the model of our whole brewery is always finding blends. And you know, I'm not putting all of my this one, you know, this beer fermented on the skins is going to be perfect. You know, so then I'm always pulling out trying to create flavors that we then thus use for blends. And so I really like the the, the softness that this beer still has, um, even fermented on the skins. Um, and then actually after we racked off the skins, we use those skins as a pumice beer as a secondary like almost orange wine process for a two percent table saison. And the tannins you get out of that beer are way higher than the tannins you get out of this beer, um, but it's cool because it's a flavor component that I haven't had in beer properly before. And so we're always just looking for the
2: components. You did will. you did you get to pick when the grapes were picked, or is it you're just no? At the whim. call me. I was going to be my yeah comment was you as as a brewer you almost never get to ask when your grapes are going to be picked because we're secondary to the winery. Typically I've, I've only had the opportunity, I think once to ask to, Oh, I want it lower, you know, uh, bricks, which would give me a higher acid or whatever. So we are usually at the whim of the winery, the, um, beer that we're serving tonight with the dinner, the small batch intention Sauvignon Blanc is dry hop and Nelson. That was actually a much lower, um, sugar content than they would have normally picked it at because there was a huge storm coming in and they wanted to get all the grapes off the vine. So in that case, it actually worked out because I I did want it at a lower, lower bricks.
0: We'll be back in a second with more of the panel. But first, take your brewing to the next level with AcuBrew's revolutionary fermentation monitoring system now predicting specific gravity. AcuBrew's mobile app and stainless steel sensor work together to send you live data from inside your tanks, including predicted gravity, Fermentation activity, clarity, and temperature. Unlike other fermentation monitoring systems, Accubrew is CIP ready and designed to stay out of your way, saving you time and space. Their set it and forget it solution streamlines systems and processes, helps maintain consistency and detect problems before they ruin a batch. Join the Accubrew community today and enjoy 24-7 peace of mind. Also, brewing is currently one of the most innovative, adaptive, and fast-paced industries in the world. With consumer demand shifting to the latest and greatest trend, it can be difficult for production teams to keep up with the requirements. The ProFill series of rotary can fillers from ProBrew are accelerating plant production everywhere. These can fillers run at speeds between 100 and 600 plus cans per minute, while achieving precise and consistent filling volumes not achievable by most inline and mobile fillers for more information visit www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level probrew brew your beer and did you know your water can change the flavor profile of your beer water is the number one ingredient after all And uswatersystems.com knows just how to treat it. uswatersystems.com has been at the forefront of the craft brewing industry and created American-made water treatment systems with brewers in mind. Whether you're a hobbyist or a pro, head on over to uswatersystems.com to learn more, because great beer starts here. Now, back to the panel. What's your creative process like on this, Vinny? As you envision a beer like intention, and we've talked about this before, but uh, in this context, you know, how do you start thinking about the flavors, the wine grape, sugar, and the base beer that's going to help bring that forward? I I think about the acid content
2: of what I think the base beer is going to be, and because uh, I think that plays a lot into it. Um, so I I think about, and I'm I'm typically of the mindset that. If we're gonna have a really big tannin tannin structure, then we pretty much want to be thinking about maybe a little bit softer of a of a of a beer. Um, it could go the other way, but for me, that's just our stylistic uh way of making these these beers the small batch uh pumice beer that is the red uh colored beer in front of you that looks more like a wine. That is 100% uh, synambic, which is our spontaneous fermented beer. So when we were all on the tour yesterday, looked at the cool ship. Uh, So stuff from that that program. So I went through and picked wine barrels that were really soft and low in acidity. Um, Maybe a little more funky because it was still, it was a little bit younger, hadn't developed all the acid yet. But the focus was a really clean beer, with lower acidity, um, knowing that Petit Syrah, that's the grape that went into this, um, it, it, that's a, a pretty highly tannic uh, wine grape. And the unique thing about this beer is that it's a, it's pumice. And Corey just mentioned pumice. Um, oddly, people think of pumice as red, but there is white. For sure. And red pumice. So pumice is just a generic wine term for the press grapes so it could be white or red fermented already on the skins which the reds would be usually not the whites but it could be the whites um and uh and then you've got this beautiful dried uh you know cake of of uh, dried grapes and so we took that and aged it on the synambic beer or the synambic beer on the pumice at six pounds of pumice per gallon of beer um I get the pumice for free though. So, um, you know, it's like reuse. Uh, and this, this pumice came from a, a little winery here in, uh, the Russian river Valley, long, long time, uh, grape growing family, Italian family by the name of Baja And, uh, I don't know if you're familiar. Mm, I am. Book, Yeah. And, uh, really amazing, uh, family, uh, multi-generation grape growing family that makes petite and even easier as it's made at the custom crush facility right behind here so we just drive our forklift and yeah. grab the bins it makes it so easy we can also get any grapes processed at at uh, uh, Grand Cru um we're lucky we, you know, we have Dumal right behind us. It makes beautiful wines and we can get barrels and whatnot from. But, but this, this beer, the whole idea on the pumice beer was to really blur the lines between what wine and beer could be, which kind of goes back to that. The question. And in this case, I think it's different for every beer. And this one, it was truly, let's see where we can make a beer, uh, purposefully not carbonate it. And so it has the very much of a wine quality to it. It's certainly, you know, not going to pass as a Petit Syrah or even a Cabernet now, but it still has a pretty strong uh, tannin structure and mouthfeel because Petit Syrah in and of itself is such a big
0: uh, grape and a big wine. Let's talk about some of those methods. You know, you mentioned pumice. Corey mentions, you know, fermenting out, you know, you know wine separately and then blending back with beer, um, you know, contact time. What, what methods do you find and how do those change those methods for adding grapes in the beer change depending on, uh, you know, whatever those factors are white versus red? Um, You know, acidity goals, you know, tannin structure and whatnot. What do you find, or what do you now do you tend to lean towards in terms of methods for pulling these things together? I have have one thing
2: that came to mind that I would like to get Mm. Nick's comment on. Um, When we make, when we're making these pumice beers, and uh, I know Matt, his team, they made them at Firestone as well. And I I know of a lot of breweries that have. Um, One of the things you have to think about. And I didn't think about it, and I I should have, coming from a winemaking background, but is how um, tight the winery presses the Mm. grapes. Um, Because we've we've done multiple pumice beers with, let's say, Petit Syrah from one winery and Cabernet Sauvignon from another, put the same amount of beer on the same amount of pumice, six pounds per gallon, and on the back end got like 25% less out because one of the grapes were pressed more and it really just almost absorbed some of the, I don't know if you've experienced that. I,
3: we, we, our pumice, we use just, it's just the grapes have been broken up and we've fermented on the skins. And then we reuse
2: the skins ourselves. So I've never just bought pumice in and had pre- pressed pumice. How does the winery think about how they press their, Yeah, how tight you press? I mean, I know you have first runnings,
1: right? Yeah. It depends a lot. So what your intentions are with that press wine. So in the winemaking process, you have what's called the free run. So in the case of a red fermentation, um, you're tasting that ferment every day, and it's on skins. So skins are floating on top of the wine, which is at the bottom of the fermenter. You're pumping that wine over the top. like Think of the old percolator coffee makers where the water comes up the middle and then sprinkles down through the coffee grinds. So you're more or less doing that at... Tank scale with um, grapes to make red wine. And you're tasting every day or maybe multiple times every day because each time you do that pump over process, you're pulling out more color, more tannin, um, to some extent, more like bodybuilding polysaccharides, things that bring uh, like uh, roundness and, and texture in the mid palate. That's all Um, coming out every time you do a pump over and then it's about trying to find that time to press where those things are in harmony and if you go too far you might end up with a wine that's too tannic for instance or maybe actually too sweet too round um to to tip the wine out of a, a nice balance point so you find that moment and say okay now we press and and then so you drain off the free run and then shovel out all that pumice and press it And so it depends a lot on how long has that fermentation been on skins already. Has it been a week? Has it been two months? And then what's the nature of those grapes? Are they incredibly tannic? And are you, like, careful to just creep up to that point where you have enough tannin? And then, okay, you know, please cut it now before it goes way over. And so the pressed wine, it can range from sometimes really not very tannic at all to sometimes super tannic and bordering on bitter and, and not very pleasant. And so by that same uh, token, the leftover pumice would have similar characteristics. So it could either be extremely tannic or maybe actually act like a fining agent for tannin. And there's some pumice that does that. And we use that in the winemaking process sometimes as like a natural finding agent to actually pull things out of some other wine. Um, So pumice, as it's it's certainly a complex material and it depends on what the grapes were like that you started with and then what your processing was like during the winemaking. Well, uh, that's gonna determine what you end up with. And so, you know, sometimes you might press it more dry or or not as dry. Um, Other things affect it like if you crush the fruit or not. So like a whole berry, Pinot fermentation where you de-stem the fruit, but you don't actually send it through a crusher. So you have a lot of these whole berries with a lot of entrained juice that even after pressing, you don't get very much of it out. And so, yeah, the amount of leftover juice can vary a lot.
2: We've, We've found that in beer, it's usually that you're gonna end up with something that's potentially too light, but not too much tannin. So we've used Pinot. Pum- pumice before and the beer never made it to market it's just got blended away
1: you so. need some napa cabernet my friend <laughs> <laughs> i knew he was some, gonna get that some in. real wine yeah 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 not this
2: alexander valley not,
1: stuff not this weedy rubbish yeah
2: hey um if you guys can finish your blonde beer uh we have or the other one whichever you want we have a surprise uh beer that natalie uh and team is gonna pour and um we'll uh we'll reveal that here in a minute
0: yeah let's kick in that question though Uh, you know how do you select grapes when you're thinking about you know what to add you know what are there grapes that you really find you know obviously Pinot Noir is not going to work for you are there some that you find that you lean on and why for for me like for me I always start with
3: grapes that I actually would want to drink um you know I like I said we're we don't have the variety or selection um, that you can get in California by any means, but um, you know, when we're going to these winemakers and, and enjoying some of their wines, for me, I'd rather, I'd rather put one of the grapes that I enjoy into a beer. It's, it's really no more or less than that, because once again, I'm always trying to build a beer from creating pieces. I have no, I'm not, I'm not out in the vineyard going, I want this lot, you know, I want this picked at this point. We don't really have those choices um, for us, at least in Missouri. And so what I'm just looking for is, you know, this is a grape that I have a, uh, I have a relationship with because I can have their wine produced from that grape. Um, and I enjoy it. So I would like to, you know, get that grape when you guys are picking, you know, when you're pulling from the vine for your next harvest, if I have an opportunity to buy some from them, um, that allows me to, you know, play with it and figure out what I can do with it. That's it's no more or less than that really for us.
0: So it has nothing to do with sugar content or any of these other kind of performance we- factors
3: we don't get that choice. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I mean, really, fair, it's, it's, fair. it's more varietal based. And so I always try to do a white and a red every year. Um, I've, we've done Vidal Blanc in previous years, and it's been one of my favorite wine hybrid beers we've ever done. Um, um this year we also did a Norton version of Loam. So Norton is, um, uh, another Missouri grape. It's really musty, funky, um, it's not very delicate by any means, um, but it does lend itself well for funky beer. It really does. I enjoy that grape more in funky beer than I do by itself, um, just because you know our our grapes are a little rough around the edges. Um, I had to look up Norton in the Oxford Wine Companion yeah. <laughs> when you uh, told
2: me yeah. that yeah. What you were.
3: <laughs> but I but I enjoy you know I really really enjoy Norton our funky beers. There is it's it's. It's kind of brash and it can hold up to a lot, and it allows us a lot of freedom to play with, um, where I wouldn't overpower it too quickly because you know our, on some levels, some sometimes our beers are more powerful than some of the wines. You know, and you lose a little bit of the nuance and delicacy of what they are. Um, so yeah, we just play around every year and create create pieces, puzzle pieces to figure out what we're gonna
2: blend. I, I, w- I was just gonna pick one beer that to talk about to relate to Jamie's question that is Intinction Sauvignon Blanc, which is on tap right now for this this, uh, Brewer's Retreat. Um, The cool thing there is that there's actually no bacteria in that beer. And the thought was that we get these Sauvignon Blanc grapes and they've got a pretty high acidity. And so we're gonna use the acidity in the grapes and not acidity from bacteria. And then we're selecting uh, a couple of Bertanomyces strains from a uh, microbiologist friend of ours uh, over in Napa at ETS Labs, which is a, a wine lab, um, but they have this amazing array of brett. Most of it's horrible strains of brett, but there's a few that are high in 4 ethylguaiacol and when we're looking at brett, we're looking at 4 and 4-ethylphenol, and we want the high Ethyl guaya it gives you more spicy and um jasmine notes and whatnot. So, we're using multiple strains of brett really soft strains of brett, Sauvignon Blanc, high acidity. So, in that case, like that's the one I that's my go to great beer year after year. So, um, yeah,
0: more from the panel in a minute, but first, hear that. That's the sound of your beer out in the world. Hanging out at parties, going on adventures, meeting new people. It's carbonated to perfection, and the can art looks slick. Twin Monkeys Beverage Systems knows how to capture quality in a can. Their custom-built canning lines combine high quality with affordability so that people can get a taste of your taproom from any room. Visit TwinMonkeys.net today and learn just how easy it is to get your craft into cans also discover a whole soft lager range by fermentus covering traditional to modern style lagers soft lager s 189 for elegant lagers with floral notes soft lager s 23 for fruity and hoppy ones and SoftLogger W3470 for your neutral beers, available in 500-gram, 100-gram, and 11.5-gram formats. And ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for over 10 years. They're proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and small parts to brewers across the country, as well as equipment for distilling, cider-making, wine-making, and more. They know the ins and outs of the brewing and installation process and can design the perfect setup for you whether you're just starting out or looking to expand. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your customized brewery needs. ABS Commercial, we are brewers. Now, back to the panel. Cool. Well, do you want to talk about what uh, everyone has just been poured? Yeah. So um, maybe
2: if uh, possible, I don't know if they... Did they leave the bottle? Yeah, they mm-hmm. left the bottle on the table. So a little surprise for everyone. Uh when we were planning this, uh, Jamie reaches out and says, "What do you think about a, a blend, the collaboration between Side Project and and Russian River?" And uh, you know, we've we've been longtime friends. Uh, I, Natalie and I met Corey at this beer festival called Boulevardia, and um, I think we were walking back to the hotel. Uh, kind of in a group or some set, some setting, and Steve Dressler, our retired brewer, brewmaster, whatever his title was at Sierra, um, was with us, and we ended up all having drinks that night, gin and tonics or whatever, and we we've, we've been friends since. And uh, so this was a really cool idea that Jamie had, and so we're blending two uh, great beers together. Um, I'll let. Why don't you start talking of, you talked a little bit about the Mm -hmm. Norton beer. But um, um yeah, so
3: our 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 component for this, which when Vinny, thank you very much. This is the first time I've actually tasted this beer. Um I got to taste our piece that was sent over. So um so at the same time, or not not the exact same time, but from the same winery called Noble Ice in Augusta, um, Missouri, um we got Norton grapes from them, which Norton grape is the Missouri State grape. So a lot of the a lot of the wineries like to grow Norton. Um our climate's a lot harsher than it is here. Um, you know, it's wet. Um, it's, does not, it's hot. It does not get these cool, um, nights. So these grapes have to be real thick skinned, real hardy. Um, and that's where it brings me to that. They're, they're brash and a little harsh around the edges, but that lends itself very well. We've used Norton quite a few times, very well as a component for, um, in structure for our funky beer. So this Norton I got in, um, we did the same process for both of our wine grape beers last year where, um, We brought it in. We had put it in our barrel room, which is our cooler, a cooler room in tank. Um, Being a brewer, I try to keep O2 out of it the entire time. I know, like, we didn't do any punches, punch downs or pump overs or anything. Um, I inoculated with, at the time, what our best fooder, our best tasting fooder is. We pulled about a half barrel off the bottom and pumped it into these grapes. They were already pretty much getting ready to ferment by themselves, which they would have. But I also like to kind of get our side project culture in there and kind of give it a chance because when this is done fermenting, you know, they're negative Play-Doh. I believe I sent this to you after I blended in some beer as well. So I believe I pulled um, some beer off. So we moved this after it was fermented in um, stainless, we moved it to oak. And so we moved to one of our oak fooders and back blended with Saison for a preliminary blend. And then let that kind of, that harmony defined itself also let it ferment pretty much again, because the bugs in the wine usually are so aggressive. They take all of our says down our saisons down to even below zero. So we almost have to let them ferment a whole nether time. Um, once we move them together and let it rest. And when that happened, I pulled off some, of the still beer if you will and this had been moved from the skins by then to send out to vinny um and i sent vinny out a couple bottles of just still beer um for him to look at play with um and try to find you know a a purpose for them is for for this blend um and it it's
2: it's it's, I love it it's really nice sorry I forgot to send you a sample
3: no
0: it's okay
2: (laughs) I am okay (laughs) the element of surprise it is so the uh beer that we contributed to this was uh Intinction Syrah it's actually a a a batch that we've uh, never uh released before I just have it in now in kegs Um, it was poured once uh, I believe that uh, Garrison, our, our head brewer, who was our, our helper yesterday, uh, poured it at the Weldworks Festival last year, if I remember correctly. Um, but we've just kind of been hanging on to it and waiting for a, reason and a purpose and a time to use it and this was it. So the Syrah grapes came from our neighbors at Dumal. Um, I went over and uh, picked up the grapes. Uh, this was a pretty small amount so we have a small crusher destemmer. I, I managed that myself. Uh, we used uh, some fooder beer uh, which we call it's an orphan beer as we call it. This is basically a blonde base five five and a half percent alcohol beer that doesn't really have a home um, but oftentimes we use it for fruit beers. So we added fruit about three pounds per gallon of, of, um, of, beer and, um, and then let it sit for probably six to eight weeks. So a decent amount of time, longer than most wineries would let their grapes, uh, sit, you know, through a fermentation with skin contact and then eventually, you know, racked it off, separated it, uh, gave it some time to settle and then, We've just been kind of hanging on to it. The beer was a couple years old already, so it's got some good age on it. Um, When Corey sent me the beer, uh, his beer, I did a bunch of different lab bench top trial blends. And uh, in the end, the 50-50 worked out good it. You know, wasn't that I wanted to be Switzerland or anything. I, would, be, I wouldn't have minded one bit. I <laughs> wouldn't have minded one bit. But, uh, but no, it just, it just happened to be what worked best, was just an even split blend. And, um, and and kind of in true collaboration form, it wasn't just Corey and I. The label is was done by Jamie. So uh, Crap Beer and Brewing had a, had a hand in this as well. So um, the other cool part is we did bottle enough to give all of the attendees two bottles to Take home. So, um, <clears throat> I, I, I hope none of you are carry on only. So, <laughs> so tonight, tonight we'll uh, put a table uh, to the right of the exit going out. And as you guys are leaving, uh, my, our warehouse team already has them in bags. Uh, you can just grab a, a two pack, and it'll be on the the honor system to just just grab one, and uh, you guys you guys can enjoy it down the line. So, thank Very you. Cool.
0: Do we have any questions from anybody for the panel? Yeah. What about TTB in relation to the <laughs>
1: flesh? Oh, the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> you not even,
2: even mention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the TTB is a is a big part of this. And um, pumice beer is a questionable as just as an example. For grapes, you're fine, yeah. but you cannot uh, just say Sauvignon Blanc. You have to say Sauvignon Blanc grapes or Cabernet Sauvignon grapes, that sort of thing. Pumice is, is a gray area that I'm actually working on right now to try to make it not gray. Um, we've had multiple conversations about this this week already and I've had conversations recently with other brewers also. My thinking is, is that um, when you make a spirits barrel aged beer, Even when you rinse the barrel, in fact, I was, Corey and I were talking the other two days ago, and he laughed when I told him the TTB's response that said, um, oh, well, you know, you got to rinse all that spirits out. And Corey laughed because he's like, even when you rinse, it's in, it's impregnated in the wood. It's in the wood. So. um, Nobody rinses their barrels. (laughs) (laughs) So, but that's the basis of it, um, that yes, there is a TTB component. When it's just grapes, it's actually not a problem. It's just another fruit in that sense. So we've used uh, natural lees that wasn't fermented yet from a local uh, winery, from Flowers, a pretty high-end Pinot Noir producer that made this really beautiful uh, mixed fermentation saison type beer. So that's just another angle of using a local wine product that's not necessarily grapes uh, directly. It's more of an indirect use of it. That one, and that one too, I bottle conditioned with a native Sonoma County yeast called rock pile that Nick's probably. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Corey and I have used it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so it's an Appalachian up above dry Creek Valley and, uh, that yeast has been isolated. So you can actually buy a dried version of the rock pile yeast, which is really cool. So in that case, that beer, we blended with some of our Synambic and that was three different, basically yeast sources of Sonoma County all into one beer. You know.
1: Now I have a question for you two guys, cause as someone who's never made a great beer hybrid, uh, myself, um, do you think about it in terms of, are you looking for harmony between, okay, what are the grapes going to bring? And then what is the grain going to contribute, the specific grain selection, and then the hops and the yeast? Are you thinking about it in, in the different components like that and thinking, okay, I'm going to get acidity from here. I'm going to get savory from here, going to get herbal from here. Or am I thinking about that, like, not in the right way? How, how do you compose beers like this how do you put together pieces of the puzzle
3: yeah my my answer you know, it's kind of repetitive where we're like so our brewery is very different than most we we have a ton of barrel stock a lot of fooders we don't really have a lot of brands we repeat so i get to walk into our brewery whenever something new is coming out and it's just a blank slate of pieces if that makes sense like we are just we have if you go into our barrel room and there's 400 barrels there's I can, there's probably 50 different beers we've brewed and you know, each barrel has its own personality. And so we're always just finding the best blend. Everything we do is a blend. Um, the fooders offer, you know, a lot of volume to help us with blends. Um, so I'm like, I, I've only fermented grapes a couple times in my life now. You know what I mean? I'm not, not maybe, maybe, I don't even know if I'm that good at it, but I'm really, I think I'm pretty good at blending, you know, and finding which direction um, those flavors we've created go. So I don't, I don't structure it beforehand, if that makes sense. I'm I'm just brewing and or fermenting, moving to oak, and then we'll revisit when the time is right to start back blending and figuring out which direction we go. So I don't now when we do the blends, it is that like all right, this is the, this is our acid component. All right, obviously the grapes are going to add things that we can't get on beer, which is really cool for us. It's a component that I don't get to play with a lot. You know that to have those ex, those different acids, to have those tannins, you know, to have something that even though the pH is low, but the TA is pretty high. I mean, it's actually TA is pretty low, so it's not really actually that acidic is, an, is a different component that we, we don't see very often with our beers, and so it just becomes puzzle pieces, is mm-hmm. all it really is.
1: And is it the same for you, Vinny, in terms of? It, it is for grape beers, because we're going
2: to our barrel cellar doing the same thing Corey said, and go, yeah, we're just gonna find the right components. Almost like when I talked about the pumice beer, finding something that was a little bit less acidic a little mild or softer. But oddly, when we made... The idea between, behind temptation, supplication, and consecration, our three main funky wild beers, those are like built around, like I was specifically thinking with consecration a great example, uh, dark beer, so dark like chocolate malts, that sort of thing, thinking about contributions from Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, I knew specifically the barrels were going to come from our friends at Silver Oak, American Oak, not French Oak as, as Nick knows and any of the wine folks in the room know. Um, totally different oak contributions. And I always tell the story. One time I made uh, consecration with some uh, French oak barrels, uh, Cabernet French oak barrels, and the beer tasted totally different. It didn't even taste like consecration. We ended up just blending it all away. Mm. And, and wow. there it went. So the, even the barrel type contributed in that case. But when we're doing great beers, I think the exact same way Corey does. We're going to our cellar, picking the best Uh, blend or you know making the best blend and then going forward and and in some cases it it just doesn't work like the Pinot Noir we did a hundred percent carbonic maceration Pinot Noir uh, beer carbonic maceration is a whole cluster fermentation on the stem still and it just made this really light it was, it was an okay beer. We actually bottled it. It's still in bottles in, in the back, um, just waiting to see if maybe it comes around one of these days. Like so. today? <laughs> <laughs> so, but then, but and I just want to throw one other thing we're probably up against the clock, is that um, there uh, the the st- types of Britannomyces you use, whether it's wild or whether you choose it, um, I, I think we have the... Brett R&D Brett IPA on tap um, this week. That's a beer where the Brett strain is Brettanomyces anomalies, and all that pineapple and tropical that you get in that beer. That's all the Brett. That's that's very little from the hops. And so there, we actually applied a wild funky ingredient in the Brett on an IPA. You know, on a very modern, an American style modern IPA right now.
0: So. I did have one more question, then maybe we'll just finish it off with this one. Let's talk about uh, finishing and carbonation on uh, wine-beer hybrids. Um, That was a conversation that you all had in thinking about how to finish this blend. Um, Obviously, you've had a mostly still beer. We've had carbonated wine beer. Like We've had some spectrum on this, and uh, the collaboration itself is pretty low carbonated. It is carbonated. Talk about finishing and, the, and how carbonation impacts the flavor and perception of these there you go. the for
3: the for the whites I mean we always carbonate our whites pretty high um, it goes hand in hand with the sparkling white wines. Um, We've we've always gone that way with the whites. And the reds have been a discussion and that's something we've played with over the years. Um, I actually early on bottled one pretty much still. We try to get just a tiny touch of carbonation or just to protect the beer part of it. You know, I mean, O2 still scares the crap out of me. And, you know, we don't have stabilizers in our beers um, that a lot of wineries can put in their wine to help stabilize, so um, we barely carved some reds. Now, earlier on, you know, years ago, um, we've played around with still beer for a, a long time, but when those bottles left our facility and would get out in the public, we would get people email back say, "Well, this bottle's flat." And like, well, we, you know, we, there's, and, and that's okay, you know, because there's a perception too of beer, and, and we're in a crossing over and, and doing a lot of different things here, and so I, I got that. Now we've also done some that were carbonated, more, more highly carbonated. I didn't prefer them as much for our red grapes, just because they sometimes they they just lost they became like almost like this sparkling Lambrusco like, and I was like, there's just, there's nothing about it that I, it missed some pieces bicarbonate that high. So, um, the, I, I definitely, I definitely look at the structure of the beer on a case by case basis, but overall as a generalization, more of our reds, I like, very low carb or um, we did do one this year that turned out really well with the loam uh, Norton version where we blended a bunch of saison into it and it became more of a saison with Norton grapes as opposed to a wine beer hybrid and when it was a saison with Norton grapes we can carb that higher and it doesn't have the structure that a wine beer hybrid does it has more of a beer structure to it
2: um, so I do watch as a as a crossing over point for for those yeah we're the exact same thing blonde beers higher carbonated sparkling wine champagne like uh red grape beers lower what i would like to explore moving forward is maybe a grape hybrid like more in the rosé uh lane that's like a summer that's spritzy and has that really fresh vibrant um we almost thirst quenching kind of quality to it with just little tannin structure light acidity and then and some carbonation so that's that's kind of somewhere somewhere i want to go in the future
0: cool well um thank you all Vinny, Thanks, Nick, Jamie. Corey, cheers. cheers. Appreciate your thoughts cheers. on Wine Beer Hybrids. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening in on this panel on bring Wine Beer Hybrids. We have one more Brewers Retreat panel on West Coast IPA featuring Matt Brindleton, Ben Edmonds, and Sean Lawson coming up next week. But in the meantime, GD Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and reliability with 24-7 service and support. Rard Dextrin Malt is here to improve your beer with better body, improved taste formation, and stable foam try old orchards flavored craft juice concentrate blends in your next craft beverage the acubrew system is designed to give you unprecedented insight into the fermentation process probrew's rotary can fillers achieve precise and consistent filling volumes uswatersystems.com builds american-made water treatment systems with brewers in mind twin monkeys offers customizable packaging solutions for every craft The soft lager range from Fermentis covers all your lager needs, and ABS Commercial is your full-service brewery outfitter course uh, if you've enjoyed this episode and any others please subscribe you know it is it's your subscriptions that help make it possible for us to bring you this podcast every week and we sure would appreciate your support Um, like I said last episode we have no immediate plans for another Brewers Retreat but if you want to be the first to know about future retreats go to beerandbrewing.com, sign up for the email newsletter it's free we share great information out there uh, every week with everyone on that newsletter list and it's the best place to stay in tune with what we have coming up. Um, We'll be back next week with another one. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.